Hello, welcome to episode 9 of the Colton Culture Podcast, presented by Planet B. I'm Justin Pearson. And I'm Luke Hinshaw. And uh, this episode features uh, Martin Atkins, who is known for his drumming in bands such as Public Image Limited, Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, Pig Face, Killing Joke, Brian Brain, and... Probably some other stuff. Probably a lot of other stuff. Um, also, he's a teacher at SEA in, in uh, Chicago. Um, writes a bunch of books like Tour Smart and Band Smart. Um, he has a coffee thing happening, roast coffee bean roasting thing. I don't know. The dude's insane. He's got dolls now. Uh, so anyhow, we caught up with him. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, uh, we we. I grew up, you know, listening to all of his music, and then um, at some point um, we ended up collaborating with on on uh, a track with um, with him on the on the new Planet B album. So, um, yeah, so he's featured on the upcoming Planet B record, and um, we met up with him. Is also at SEA in Los Angeles, yep. and uh, he was giving a lecture. So we just met up with him before we went up to Los Angeles, recorded uh, this podcast, and. Uh, kind of dove into that that drive was brutal it was uh, a brutal drive uh, we actually missed him in his hotel and had to go meet him yeah, at the, at the uh, venue yeah which is understandable it's la and san diego is becoming one big thing i think yep and it worked uh, out. yeah it was awesome and and he you know we also got to see him play drums and stuff too and part of his part of his lecture which was which was fantastic the dude rips um so yeah, it's an honor to be able to hang out with the dude, and it's an honor to have him on our record. Um, okay, cool. So here, uh, without further ado, is the uh, podcast. Hope you enjoy yourselves. Bye. Um, is it ready? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's start with um, you and the beginning of of your your you. It's Mar- <laughs> Martin Atkins as we know it. I mean, I'm a person, not a clothing line. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, okay, so how, let's talk about how you, how you joined PIO or what happened before that or how that whole thing fell in your lap. So, well, it didn't. But so before that, I was a, um, um, uh, just a drummer in the north of England uh-huh. and um, doing eight shows a week. <laughs> Seven nights, Sunday afternoons, backing strippers. So when punk hit, I'd already I started playing when I was nine. Joined my first band when I was eleven, and so I was um, at sixteen. I was like jaded, technically proficient, and perfect for punk. Oh yeah, which wanted to be like <laughs> fuck, fuck proficiency. Except Chris Spedding played guitar on some Pistol stuff. They needed yeah. proficiency, but with a fuck off attitude. Sure. So th- that was me. But I went down to London for some auditions. And um, auditions dad, for what? For, just to just different things to not be in a band in the north of England. Oh, sure, okay. You know, two hundred and fifty miles, but it was one end of the country to the other. Uh, 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 spiritually, just it's like New York, L.A., Scotland, London. Sure. And um, so, um, my dad arranged for me to have a ride to London with a moving company, and I did a bunch of auditions, and I had a ride back Thursday morning. I ran out of money by the Tuesday. I was in a pub. I just said, I just said to the barman, "Could you tell everybody in the pub 
I don't have any money. I don't have any way. Is there anybody I could stay with? What was I, 16 or something? And um, so the morning, that the Wednesday, um, and I'm leaving the Thursday with this ride, I get Melody Maker, which came out in London on a Wednesday, everywhere else in the country on a Thursday. And there was an ad. It said, drummer required for band with rather well-known singer. Uh -huh. I'm like, this is John's new thing. So I called the number. Hello, Virgin Records. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, okay, I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm really good, and I don't give a shit. They're like, yes, you, well, you sound like you could be. And they're like, auditions are Friday. I'm like, oh, I'm leaving Thursday. Can I have an audition tonight or tomorrow morning? They're like, no. Auditions are Friday. And I'm like, I can't do it. And I don't know what I could have done. There was no like PayPal or Western, well, there might have been Western Union. I, I don't, I said, I've got to, I have to go back to the north of England. And once I was in the truck, getting the ride home, I'm like, oh, I just fucked up. And so every mile going back to the north of England. So as soon as I got there, I told the guys I was in a band with, I'm moving to London, I'm through with this north of England shit. And he said, you're right, we'll move down with you. And for the next year and a half, I just kept calling Jeanette, Virgin Records. So, you know, I got to know Jeanette Lee, and then she gave me a home number. She wasn't there one time. I ended up talking to her mum, <laughs> you know. So for 18 months, I was like, I, I worked really hard to stumble into that opportunity. Sure. Again. And, and they made it easy because they went through like seven or eight drummers. So, in, okay, in so you months. missed the Friday tryout then. You just randomly kept going back and being persistent. Yeah. Wow. So that inevitably well, changed your life. Well, and they kept firing drummers. Yeah. Jim Walker left yeah. really quickly. Um, I set, they set fire to two drummers. Literally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. And so at some point I'm thinking, oh, this is the, this is the job for me. Yeah. But I, I think because I, I, I felt like I was so close to having that chance, and I missed, it became a thing for me. So how did you? Why do you think you survived it? I guess, the tryout period that they were having. Because well, maybe maybe this is like weird speculation, but I feel like when you came into the picture, there was a huge shift in the way the band was sounding, or you know what it was producing. Well, I mean, I'd love to say, yeah, but... <laughs> well, I can say, yeah, for you, and well, then you... <laughs> but I, I think that... So one of the things that I'm looking at, and I'm trying to distance myself and not say, yeah, <laughs> I was the shift. You know, um, I think what happened, people are allocating all of this strategic... It was then that John decided yeah. Pill would be all about the drums. No, Keith was on heroin and Wobble quit. Yeah. So it's me and John. Sure. You've got drums and John. Okay. It wasn't like we thought this through. It was just this was just carnage in front of us. Huh. That we navigated. Sure. You know. So I think 
if I'd presented, if, if Nick Lorne and I had presented John with someone, here we go, here's the track, boom, da, boom, boom, da, boom, yeah. da, boom, boom, wait for the tambourine, boom, boom, da. He would have been like, oh, fuck, well, let's get a bass player in here. Right. But we presented him with Under the House Floor and Closed Walls, Banging the Door, etc. Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll go with that. Okay. And that was like, in, in, in retrospect, it's like the weirdest stuff of that time for a major label like it doesn't make sense I guess right and and so I'm, I'm trying to navigate this part as, as well there are, there are people who are attributing all kinds of things to John who don't understand what we were doing or the situation and and all they know is to say okay John was the band leader therefore I, uh, assuming he went into the studio with, here's this song, Under the House. Martin, I want you to do triplets. Hit the, uh, uh, <laughs> Nick, get ready yeah. with the uh, um, uh, flamenco hand claps. We're going to pan it left to right. Because that's what they think. Maybe Bono does that. Yeah, I don't sure, know. Sure, sure. You know? But it was the opposite with Pilt. What John did, which nobody is talking about because everybody, and he's, He's going along with this idea of like band leader. Sure. You know, God bless him. Um, <laughs> but, but what he did was elbow the music business out of the way with his notoriety. Oh, yeah. You know, and opened up this rare opportunity to be like, hey, we can do this. People will do it. People will spend a few minutes listening to this. Well, there's a chance here. The, the most recent version of that I can think of is when Trent did uh, I Want to Fuck You Like an Animal. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know what that song's called, but that's... Sure, the part that right? sticks out. Um, if that was his first song, like, yeah, no one's playing it, mate. What are you, what are you <laughs> but he created the buzz that elbowed traditional ideas out. Look, radio's going to play it, therefore... Here's an opportunity to really push the envelope and be ten times more, more notorious, mm. and it's very similar, I think, to what John did. Sure. Um, and you embroidered some other stuff in there. Like, there was like, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid seeing um, you guys on American Bandstand. Yeah. Before I really even knew of the Sex Pistols, I think, I mean, fuck, I don't know, I was maybe ten or something. But I remember like seeing it and like you guys weren't playing, and it was the weirdest thing. And I was like, it, it was like the first time I really saw like something. It was the first time I was probably ever exposed to like real punk attitude, you know. And I was like, "Damn, these people are like just fucking with the the producers of the show." It was brilliant. But I but I wonder like how that happened on like a on a on a on a mainstream level, like how what the reaction was to that. Like people were probably like pissed, right? Like on the industry on the industry side of things. Yeah, and so <laughs> once again, I don't want to single handedly destroy. A vibe and a reputation that has served me well sure. as a member of Pill for that time, but um, I don't think any of us really knew what American Bandstand was. Yeah, John might have because he'd been over to the states a couple of times. Uh -huh. He did a promotional trip with Keith, and he obviously did the Sex Pistols tour. But I remember walking onto the set of American Bandstand, and as we came through the gate at whatever the place was, I'm like, oh my god they film the uh, comedy uh, Soap. I was blown away sure. by that. Yeah, yeah. So just that, just remind, I wasn't, we had no idea of what Bandstand was. Yeah. We had no idea who Dick Clark was. Wow. So 
But, and, and of course, nobody played on bandstand. Yeah, but, but nobody we, knew that until that happened, right? I don't think anyone's ever done that before. Really? I don't oh, think so, man. Okay. I don't think I don't. I re, I really don't think anybody had ever done that. Where well, you could where you could watch it and go like they're not playing. It's just fucked. Right. I mean, yeah. I saw a picture. I've got some 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 stills tonight. There's a picture of me playing bass. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> we just like gave up all yeah. pretense yeah. of you know. Yeah, Wobble was playing the drums. It's great though. Yeah. It's such a great performance. Um, and then, like, not to jump around too much, but then, like, so you you had left the band and then came back and did. Um, this is what you. This is what. This is what you. No, was, I was fired. Uh, this is one thing I started working on a timeline of my first, I think, seven months. So it was Metal Box, Bad Baby, which was my audition. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, John Peel, uh, Old Grey Whistle Test, which is live TV in England. Um, Paris. The John Peel thing never came out, right? It's not released. No, it's released on something. Okay. It's on uh, the plastic box on oh. the 40th anniversary. Yeah. It's, it's definitely been released okay. a couple of times. Um, so at the end, two weeks after the American tour, which is April, May 80, so September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, eight months, which... Paris au printemps yeah. was recorded but not released yet um, uh, did the American tour two weeks after I got home Keith fired me Keith did uh huh huh what was the reason for that well I think he just thought I was a cunt <laughs> you know but I mean because uh, I had this work ethic from the north of England well we're we do eight shows a week, and yeah. <laughs> there's 3,000 people at the Palladium yeah. in New York. We better play for two hours and give them value, yeah, yeah. you know. And Keith was on heroin. Yeah. And I didn't understand. He was destroying himself. He wasn't doing the band any favors. We just didn't. He's walking around eating bowls of custard, which you might as well have a sign on your head like, junkie, <laughs> you know. I can't eat solid food. You know, it just pissed me off. Sure. And uh. um he didn't like me either. Wow. Okay. So it was just like, uh. but so, I mean, there was all this, like, not, this doesn't have to do with you necessarily, but, but like, you know, you watch like a uh, filth and the fury and, and Leiden is very outspoken about heroin addicts and Sid and stuff. So like, I wonder why he tolerated that in a new, in his next band. Cause that was sort of the demise of the pistols. So it seemed like he wouldn't <clears throat> allow it a second time or did he not know it? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's yeah. We can we can avoid that whole. No, I don't yeah. have to avoid it. Keith yeah. has talked openly about it. I talked with him openly about it. I had a, the the longest best conversation I've had with him in forty years. Two months ago. Wow. And um, uh, it was heartbreaking to see, but it was also frightening, just as a human. Uh-huh. But it was also frightening as a person in that band. To, you know, everything was on a knife edge anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Why wasn't John more involved with that? Sure. Um, uh, certainly, um, and I, I have this whole section tonight about not being in pill. So I go about my own business with my own little punk band, Brian Brain, yeah. where my drums are on tape. Um, and then I get asked back to come into the studio to work on the Flowers of Romance album. Um, but I only have two days because I've got a second or third Brian Brain US tour book. Uh-huh. So they asked me back, but Keith was very, 
took great pains to let every journalist know I hadn't rejoined. Uh, uh. I was just back as a session drummer, which, like, my point to that would be, well, I thought session drummers got paid. <laughs> but, but I think one of the things that Keith was doing at this time, they, he fired me because I was an asshole in San Francisco on a, on a radio interview. Said a bunch of stuff that was true, but I shouldn't have said it. Um, and but also, if Pill wasn't a touring band, and it, and after the America they decided it shouldn't be, yeah, then why did they need a drummer? Yeah. So they fired me, to, and they also saved sixty pounds a week, which is what I was getting paid. Oh wow! But that was kind of heartbreaking for me, and uh, and then to be asked back, um, I just puked my guts of my ideas and my creativity. Um, it's very interesting to look back on it. Um, all these ideas that, that Nick Launay helped, allowed and encouraged to to come to fruition. Wow. And I, after two days, I left that, got on a plane and went to the States and uh, did my Brian Brain yeah. thing. So it wasn't until perhaps a year after that when they moved to New York that they asked me to rejoin while they were they were entrenched in recording in in, uh, in New York. Yeah. For which album? This is what you want. Uh, this is what you get. But didn't he fire everyone except song. you? Because there's that video. It's just, isn't it just you like doing this weird shit and John singing and like, <laughs> like yeah, that the was band? after that. Yeah. That was after that. Uh-huh. There was a time in New York where it was me, John and Keith. Um, and then... Uh, we had Pete Jones come over and play bass, and we did a bunch of shows as the four of us. We did Roseland, did Pasadena Civic. The four of you. So wait, it was you, John, Keith Levine, Keith, and, and Pete Jones. Oh, okay. On bass. Oh, okay. And he's he just he played with Cowboys International. Uh-huh. He played with Brian Brain, my band, and he's playing with Department S now. Still, still playing. Um, and so there's this whole mess around a Japanese tour, the first Japanese tour. Um, where um, we had 10 shows booked in Tokyo uh, and a shit ton of money, which we needed. And, and then Paul McCartney was busted with eight grams of weed in Tokyo. And um, so that precipitated something called the Paul McCartney Clause in all Japanese performance agreements. And so all of the money from a tour would be forfeit along with expenses and any profits a promoter thought they might make. So you had to be some kind of an idiot to walk into that with a heroin addict. Oh. Right? So we had a band meeting. uh, And instead of clearing the air, what are we going to do? Perhaps in retrospect, postponing the tour. You know, we've had a bunch of your money. We'll get to you. We have an internal band problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, instead, Keith showed up with his attorney, uh, and as I said in the documentary, it was like being in the fucking Eagles. <laughs> like, what, 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 does everybody have their own attorneys now? What's yeah. going on? And um, and that was it. Yeah. Pete Jones went to the airport, called from the airport. Fuck this. Uh, Keith was kind of fired, and then it was me and John, uh. and we had to very quickly put a band together to go to Japan. So who was in that band? Because I remember seeing videos of that. You don't have to say if you don't want to. No, I know who was uh, in it. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Zvoncek, who I just Facebooked last week. Uh-huh. Uh, Louis Bernardi on bass. Mm. And uh, 
Joe Guido on guitar. Amazingly talented musicians. Completely <clears throat> not correct for sure, Pill. Sure. So, but we had like three weeks to put a band together. Um, and we auditioned a bunch of interesting people. But these guys nailed the music. We yeah. thought, well, we'll just go to Japan. We have to go to Japan and do this. Yeah. And we'll rethink this afterwards. And then uh, we were heavily in debt. Um, and we went to Europe. And whereas we got away with what's called the Holiday Inn version of the band, uh-huh. <laughs> we got away with that in Japan. Um, it did it's not great fly term. in Europe. Oh, yeah. You know where, the, where that came from? No. I think, I'm sure everybody in the band, it's like, well, that's when I decided. But, but, but I, I coined the term the Holiday Inn Band because when uh, I went with Bob Miller, our sound guy and producer, to give Louis Bernardi the job, Bob says, yeah, well, let's go. We want Let's tell him face to face. We'll go and meet him at the Holiday Inn in Passaic, New uh-huh. Jersey. And it was like, it was like a raining, it was like a drug deal gone bad. <laughs> it's like soprano <laughs> shit. But we walk into the Holiday Inn Passaic and I'm like looking around and uh, I see Louis on stage with his cover band in a red beret, combat clash beret uh-huh. singing Rock the Casbah. Whoa. And in that moment, I'm like, Oh, we're fucked. <laughs> I mean, we're just fucked. You know, we're so fucked. And it turns out he's good friends with Bob Miller, our sound guy, as is Joe Guida, as is Tommy Zvoncek. Mm. And the guy, I, I told Bob this in New York, I felt we were looking to him for independent advice. And whether he realized it or not, he accidentally recommended his close friends. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not saying he did that maliciously or deliberately, but... That's what the situation was. Man, so did you play the the Screen on the Green show, which was like the first New York performance? That was there was uh, the Ritz on. show. Oh, the Ritz, right? The Ritz. Yeah, is that what it the was? Riot? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. So that was. Um, uh, I arrived shortly after that. The phone was still ringing. Uh-huh. With the Ritz, were just like, "Where's this? We need twenty thousand dollars for the screen." Oh yeah. Like, yeah, nothing to do with me, mate. Yeah. So Bow Wow Wow canceled two shows, and Keith agreed to do pill and um, so wait he was playing with Bow Wow Wow or something no Oh. two nights opened up unexpectedly oh I see and so uh, he said yeah we'll do it he could have called me we could have done it oh sure instead it it was a weird art experiment yeah cool Uh um, with a record playing a screen the band behind the screen and um, a drummer I've forgotten his name he died recently uh, Keith found this drummer at, uh, at a drum shop. Huh. He was like a jazz guy. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've seen footage from the band side of the screen. Oh, wow. And it's like, you know, Keith doing a dong, dong, dong. You yeah. know what Keith does. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. You know, telling this guy, like, hit it, hit the drums. Yeah. And instead of like a ba bum ba ba you know, some yeah. beat. Uh, this guy is like, spow, boo, boo, that because he was a jazz yeah, drummer. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and people are starting to get really uh, amped up. And then as a last resort, I think they, they put Flowers of Romance on. 
the, the vinyl album. Wow. And, and that got, bought them another two or three minutes until the record skipped. And people were just like, fuck this. Wow. Yeah. That's the real rock and roll swindle right there, yeah. I guess, huh? Yeah. But um, it's weird as I trace all this stuff back. You know, when Pigface perform, we begin the show behind screens. Oh, sure. In silhouette. Yeah. And it creates tension. It's really cool. It's like, you know, I wouldn't say for a second I thought up that idea sure. on my own. I saw all the pictures of the weird shadows yeah. and the angles, and it's fucking awesome. I mean, as a little kid, I was fascinated by reading about that story. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, so then, like, man, you have this insane career with, like, playing with some pretty uh, amazing artists. I mean, you, you dabbled with Ministry and Killing Joke and among your own stuff, too. I mean, it's crazy. So you just never really stopped, you know? No, I stopped for a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I remember thinking, look, if, if I don't want to be in pill having been to Australia and Japan for the second time with This Is Not A Love Song being a worldwide hit uh, licensed to Miami Vice The Order of Death seven minutes of music on NBC um, if that isn't it for me then I guess music isn't sure so I kind of stopped for maybe a year and then joined Killing Joke over in the UK and um which you to, seem very fitting musically, st- st- stylistically, or whatever. It seems well, like. y- well, yeah, but also I absorbed Paul Ferguson's beats into my tribal sure. shit. Yeah, um, and I think that made me a better, more dangerous drummer. Um, <laughs> and then I had to start managing Killing Joke because it was a catastrophe. Um, so you were managing it as well. Yeah, uh-huh. and then how did how did you get to do that? Well, if I. If I hadn't started managing Killing Joke, it wouldn't have existed for me to play drums. Huh. I mean, stuff was happening like, this is a huge problem. We owe six months on the equipment storage, but they won't give us the key- Mirage keyboards. and Everything was a fucking crisis. Yeah. And they had this guy <laughs> helping them, and he's like, yeah, I'm fucking, don't fucking tell me. We, I've got 500 T-shirts here. We need storage for the T-shirts and all these flexi discs. There's no fucking money. <laughs> and I'm like, well, here's an idea. Why don't we sell some fucking flexi discs, dude? Yeah. Then you won't have to st- stack them in the office and there'll be some money to pay for the storage. <sighs> what? I just got on the phone, called a couple of one-stops. and some. I had my label at that point. Yeah. And, uh, what year was that then? Fuck, 89? Okay. 88? Uh-huh. 80, 89. Yeah. My label started in 88. And um, I released the Courtauld Talks, which is a spoken word thing that Jazz and Geordie did. It's kind of interesting with a little bit of percussion. I released that as a double album um, and, and we arranged a, a US tour. Look, we've got to get over to the States. I keep hearing your music being played. Let's get over there. Yeah. And it started to take some shape. Um, so, um, while I was in, and then it gets a bit crazy again. While I was in Killing Joke, we hung out with Al Jorgensen in Chicago, who knew the Killing Joke guys from London. Um, so, Al and I connected, um, and he called me. Uh, I was in Miami with Killing Joke. We just we were hanging out with Skinny Puppy. Um, and he asked me to come and drum with Ministry on a tour, which I didn't leave Killing Joke to do. I took a hiatus. Um, and then at the end of that ministry tour, I started Pig Face. So for a while, I was in Killing Joke, working with ministry, and started Pig, Pig Face wow. at the same time. 
and then Nine Inch Nails, um, um, and a lot of Pig Face, a lot of stuff with my own label, some music in China, um, and then I completely take a detour into writing books, teaching, and speaking. Yeah. So how did, let's talk about your teaching thing. How did that come into play? Because it's pretty impressive in itself. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, completely accidental. I went to Columbia College, Chicago, because we were putting two bus, three band package tours together with Big Face and other artists. Um, 20,000 promotional CDs, 80,000 promotional postcards with 10 different partners. I mean, we were doing some shit. And um, I heard about internships. So I went to Columbia with a quick presentation. This is why you should give me like five interns now. And at the end of the presentation, they're like, when can you start? Huh. I'm like, I could, t I could take interns now. They're like, no, no, when could you start teaching? <laughs> I don't feel dirty. So I, st I, I thought the craziest thing I could do is to say yes. And so I did. And then the first class, everybody's sitting there with this book. And it was theatrical touring, 1962. I'm like, we can't use this book. What do you, you know? So I started to write Tour Smart. Uh. And then, and I kind of thought that I would wind things down. You know, I'm 59 now. I was, what was I then? 49, 49, it was 10, 10 or 11 years ago. Got four kids. You know, seemed perfectly reasonable for me to like start winding things up, <laughs> teach out, you know, yeah. um, teach to the grave. And uh, and then Toursmart took off. I started uh, speaking and then, and I was delivering these very dry, serious, here's this information, speeches. And I'm like, God, this isn't, people need to be here and engaged. How can I do that? So I started to fuck around within that PowerPoint format, yeah. within that throwing things at people, and, which is <laughs> stuff I did as a punk. Yeah. We used to throw bananas at the audience with Brian Brain, and now I throw muffins. It's like yeah. the same shit, yeah. different context. And um, and that just started building up. Like, um, So I'm th this is my fourth book that I'm working on. I successfully pledged campaign. It is still going on. I'm going to Medellin. In a month, uh, Toronto, Sao Paulo, Santiago, uh, uh, Manchester, London, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. Wow. So, um, but now I've kind of, um, whereas the traditional guy, which I don't know what part of me that is, would say to me, you're doing a little bit much. <laughs> Calm it down. So this, this, this four days in LA, I did two classes for Kevin Lyman at USC on Tuesday, uh, DIY marketing and branding. I played drums with Ruby on Wednesday night at Echo. That's Leslie Rankin from Silverfish. She's fucking amazing. Um, last night, I showed up at Stories yeah. and did 20 Minutes just from the hip, wow. which was kind of made me nervous. I'm like, okay, I, I like this. Um, and tonight I'm doing this pill presentation. Tomorrow I drum with Ruby at DNA in San Francisco. Wow. And Sunday afternoon I'm doing this in a rehearsal room, like an invitation only thing. And instead of me being tired, 
I'm actually fueled. Sure. It's like, and so I'm I'm having this kind of like, fifty nine year old. Hey, Martin. Turns out you're a drummer. <laughs> like moment. Yeah. And the more I drum, the more I want to drum, um, and I'm enjoying that. So I'm trying, but but I love writing. I'm starting to do this thing, which isn't going to communicate through the microphone. <laughs> I'm starting to take the ideas and mix them up a little bit, like it's a movie, because movies aren't linear. So I'm mixing my stories up a little bit and enjoying that storytelling thing that I do on NPR uh-huh. and developing that. And That's, then, is that new, the NPR podcast? No, it's, I've been doing that for a couple of years with Bob Boylan. Okay. I'll tell a story. It's called The Martin Atkins yeah, Minute. minute. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and I keep seeing Bob. and I, I need to sit down and do some more of those sure. for him. Um, but I'm t- trying to be that person because for a while I'm like fuck the drums that's old and lame (laughs) you know but uh, I hit the drums so hard still that it's not like oh Martin doesn't have it right which would be horrible right and I'm sure at some point things will stop working (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, right? And I think that would just be really sad. Like me on stage going, look out, L.A. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, tambourine. <laughs> you know. But um, but I, I did this random session up in Toronto. I just tweeted, these, these, these guys did a PIL cover. I'm like, this needs some fucking drums, you asshole. It's like some drum machine bubbling along. Uh-oh. And they're like, well, we can't afford we don't. We I'm like, well, I'm not asking you to pay me because you couldn't afford me anyway. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you say you can't? Of course you can't afford me. I'm just, let's just do it. Yeah. And uh, there's this great story. I've forgotten the guy's name. Uh, they're called Love Tapper is the name of the band. Uh, he was kind of, I think, a little bit condescending. So they set up this kit. Not, not in that way. He's very respectful. But I set up the kit. And just before I started to check it, he describes me going, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch out. Watch out. I'm about to hit the drums. And he's like, yeah. Fuck you. What are you? Yeah. Fuck you? What yeah. are you? And then I started to hit the drums. And he was just like, they said the sound pressure levels were just insane. Yeah. So I, I want to keep doing that. It's crazy because I, I uh, you have to grab that. No, it's okay. okay. Uh, it's so weird because like I think before we had met, um, I think PIL had like got back together, and, okay. and I was like I was like why are these you know who are, like I didn't really know who was in it. I just heard there was a guy from Spice Girls in it. And I was a little confused and I was like wow that's weird. Why would they not get Martin? And then you know my I guess naively thinking like oh you know he, maybe he's just like not playing anymore or whatever and so for whatever however it worked out when we did that improv session in San Diego like as soon as you started playing I was just like Jesus fucking Christ this guy is like first of all you're playing in a suit with wearing Doc Martens and like being the hell out of this drum kit and I felt bad for the drum set and dude I, I mean I'm, <laughs> I felt bad I like that I mean I, I, I felt I, bad for the drum set I'm pretty lucky to play with the drummers that I get to play with so I was like oh dude this guy is on that f- fucked up level like still like you know it's just beyond me so like what? why would you not go and do it again like what's where? why is there not a new thing 
Well, I mean, that's, that's complicated. Uh, first off, drummers don't leave singers' bands. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Drummers don't leave singers' bands. Okay. So, you... so just imagine being John. And second trip to Japan, yeah. Australia, this is not a love song. Miami Vice, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. Sure. Right, so, and if you, if you see a little bit of the context in the Pill documentary about John and his upbringing, he was very sick, didn't recognize his family, and so things got very close-knit. And, and I thought I'd left Pill. I think John will always think that I absolutely betrayed him. Huh, okay. Right, because if Pill is John, and I don't know that it is, but if he thinks it is, and I left it, I betrayed him. Okay. And, I t- and I get that. I'm so fine. that makes sense why you wouldn't be in PIL now, because that's not your, I guess it's not your decision. But what about, like, why did, what, like, are you fully, act- do you have, like, a fully active band now? And my question is, if you don't, why would you not just, not recreate PIL, but, like, make a modern-day thing, like, uh, something as righteous as that? With Well, but... but that was about so many other things other than the music. It was the time, it was the context. It was, the, you know, it was that show at the Olympic where everything just went, oh, yeah. you know? But isn't I, there always a time and always a context to everything? Yes. But, <laughs> but back then, there was... Um, right now, there are probably 80 to 8,000 mini scenes of like fucking glitch this and K-pop that and fucking what? Yeah. Back in the 80s, there was rock. Then there was punk. And then there was like goth, uh, uh, post-punk, new romantic. There were fucking, everybody was on the same page. So everybody was on the same page turning the page now everybody's on a different page to you know if you're in a minivan with 10 people you're like hey <laughs> what a great song and you turn around because you listen to the radio and somebody else is in the back playing fucking some bullshit and somebody else is like yeah we're listening to something else yeah whereas back then if, if where were you when kennedy was shot and people oh they were doing something and these moments happened in mass media. Now everything's fragmented. So how can you turn the page when everybody's, some people don't even have a book to turn the sure, page. Sure, sure. They're listening to, that, that's what I mean about the context. I understand, huh? We, it was more dangerous to more people. So when we played to mm. nearly 10,000 people at the Olympic, there was a bunch of people who wanted to see the pistols. There was a bunch of people who, bandstand and other things that, it, well, it was, it was we only did bandstand the day before, so that they haven't seen it. But there was a there was a time where all the stuff was bubbling up, sure, and it was dangerous. There was ten. There was tension. Think, yeah. So one of the things that happened a lot that I try and talk about this sometimes, but it just comes to the surface. We were on stage with German Shepherds in in Fukuoka, and it wasn't like oh I'll never forget. It was like yeah. LA was police helicopters, the crowd was maced, um, and riot police on horseback. 
Um, my diary entry for Atlanta, my fourth show with the band, 16 cop cars outside. Yeah. You know, and then and Ted Cohen uh, will say, oh, yeah, that was spillover from the pistol show in Atlanta. I mean, there was fucking shit and, and no security. We did the Olympic without any security. Uh-huh. And um, it was just dangerous. So to try and recreate that... I don't know. But maybe uh, you shouldn't have to recreate it. Maybe there's a, there's a natural evolution you can take from that and create the n- a new thing, like birth something that hasn't happened. Well, so I'm doing this thing with Leslie. She has this thing called Ruby, which is her. She does all these electronics, and people make weird boxes for her uh-huh. to jam with. Um, and I put just slam drums over the top. And I really like that. It's just me and her. And there's no bullshit or interband. Well, we're not a band. It's two of us. Yeah. And I just like sitting behind her. She sings like an angel and says cunt a lot. I just like sitting behind her, and and just playing my drums in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, having said all of that, would I do a pill show? Yeah. F- four songs, one show. I'd love to do that. But I don't even really mean a pill show. I mean. Like just a new band, you know, with new players. But but what? so okay, so what? Like, why am I not dr- just drumming? Well, not just drumming, but like, why? Like, it's like you you had this thing that you're that's that like sort of helped the world define you. Like then you know then you like it's like you know I don't want to use like Johnny as a reference point, but like he he had the Sex Pistols, then he started PIL. I feel like he should start something totally new after that. I mean, I guess he tried, but like, so anyhow, like artists just move on or they, are they like the Rolling Stones and they just keep doing the same shit, you know, like you, you, it's not like you've lost it. Obviously you fucking rip on drums still. Like, so why, I just feel like there's a demand like for what you do and you could put something out there and people would resonate with that. And yeah, like maybe it's not like it was for PIL and, in the early days and the, with, with that sort of tension, but man, this world's fucked in a whole other way, you know? And like, you can right. feed off of that. You can use that as something. Right. Well, so, but right. So for me, you know, I just have my studio rewired. I have my analog tape machines and bizarre even tied shit that like, you know, one of my even tides went down and this guy like sent me a video of him repairing it. He found the chip that you can't find at a school that was closing down. Ah, like, there's this thing that I used to glitch beats with and um, I'm going to do that I'm playing drums with Leslie and and I like I like the arc of all of this like I was in um, Barcelona speaking and uh, Pete Shelley was there and we were just talking he was a big pill fan I'm a huge Buzzcocks fan and we were like well we should jam yeah I'm like should we jam or should we just play Buzzcocks songs? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and uh, we just jammed in this basement. And people, the thing I enjoyed about that is people were like, it was like I was doing a magic trick where this guy who'd been speaking for five years and here's my new book. Oh, here comes Martin with his new book. Pulls a pair of drumsticks out of his pocket and just like nails this yeah. stuff. I like that. I like that stuff. And... Um, so I, I think um, I'm really happy that I stumbled back into it um, and that Leslie asked me to do a few things because it's kind of 
I think we might do something for a few weeks next year. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like, okay. And we're talking about doing another pig face show next year, like one, because that's just ridiculous. You know, so do I? Ha- yeah, I have a band. It's called Pick. Yeah, sure, but, but it's it, not active. Or well, yeah. we did a show in 2016. Okay, one yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but but we had nine drummers yeah. on stage. It's yeah. not like yeah, okay. So, so yeah. it's but you could say it's not about me and the drums. It's about me and everything but the drums. It's about me proving my logistical prowess, <laughs> making it happen. Uh-huh. Oh, nine kits. We'll go to you know. And in fact, at the end of the show, I was in the audience. There's yeah. like people shooting video, and I'm like, ah, oh, and I go, I go and watch the band, yeah, which is great. And then I see, I saw myself, oh my god, that looks like the back of my head, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have tremendous fun with all of this stuff, but I think I'm finding this smaller, more intimate uh, release of all of that stuff for me. Yeah. So there is a possibility of recreating. What you said the four songs you're you were, or you said four songs referring to Flowers of Romance or something or um, no I I would be lying if I said if John called and said would you come on stage and do a couple of songs oh, like, oh no songs. fuck oh, you sure. I'd be like yeah I'll, I'd love to do uh, yeah. three songs one show same with Killing Joke yeah fucking love that band yeah you know um, I saw them in New York and I'd love to be like ah, Love Like Blood yeah, I remember yeah. doing that yeah. you know. Um, but I mean that's that's not my that's not my call to make. Huh. And I think you might say, to a certain extent, I'm I'm not helping the possibility of that happening by having events like the one I'm having this evening. What? How so? Because um, I don't think that my version of events is, nor should it be, the same as John's. Sure. But it was a really weird thing that you said about how, like, drummers don't leave singers' bands. But, like, I think that you, as, as Martin Atkins, can, can, be, can be the one to, to like, harness a, other instruments, other musicians, another singer, like, for something else. Like, and they wouldn't leave your band, you know? It's, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a weird thing to kind of... This might be an interesting thing because I feel like people place too much emphasis on the singer or the vocalist or the front person which I don't I don't it's not like always accurate you know I mean well that's that's something so I got my master's degree in January and I didn't think there was any use in any of that I just do it because I I don't like to be fucked with at the academic level you know (laughs) Because it's like, I've got a Grammy and I did all this stuff. And sometimes that upsets academics. So they get a yeah, oh, and where's your master's degree? Oh, you don't have a master's degree. Oh, well, uh-huh. right. But So I got my master's degree. So I'm like, yeah, I've got a master's degree and a Grammy and this oh. and this. And so fuck <laughs> off. But, but um, I have ideas and opinions and memories and my diaries uh, for my book. But then I'm also going before and after my time to seek validation or confirmation of things that I've thought. So the album after me, album, um, uh, Bill Laswell describes that recording process. Are you on any of that? No. Nothing at all, huh? No. Um, it's Ginger Baker and Tony Williams from Chic. Yeah. Um, and Bill Laswell describes that. Yeah, we had these fully finished songs. We didn't know if they were going to be used for pill. So he's written these songs. Who? Jo- he wrote them? Bill Laswell. Oh, yeah. okay. And John would walk in the studio 
sing and leave and then they'd mix uh-huh. so that's like that's exactly my experience with John yeah so it's not yeah. just me saying this is my version of the events it's like actually here's this other you can go to these other sources for huh. the same thing years later yeah you know I mean that was there was some good in my opinion there's some good songs on that record mm-hmm. but it's, I mean I remember like kind of being being old enough to go see PIO when, when nine came out and it was horrible it was nothing yeah a lot good. of people say nine was terrible it was the but worst thing. Al- when album came out I'm like oh fuck there was some Ginger good shit Baker's on- replacement <laughs> I want to rejoin you know yeah uh, Tony Williams like oh fuck and then and then the packaging comes out uh-huh. album cassette poster yeah. t-shirt I'm like yeah. oh fuck yeah. this is genius and then the songs are really good yeah yeah I saw them on that tour too on uh, on album yeah uh, I missed it because I was just too young but yeah, yeah well, I and not to harp on, on it but I saw that it was like I, it was a weird thing to, to kind of be when I was I think I was 12 or 13 I saw them play an um, on the 9 tour with New Order and Sugar Cubes yeah. and it was easily the worst out of the out of the bunch, and I think De La Soul played too. So it was just like, pi. And I went there because uh, I was a fan of PIL, and it was such a bummer. And I realized at that point that like it's gone. It's not. It's not a thing, you know. Um, well, I think that. So one of the things I'm trying to get to for me, in all of this, is not a he said he said, whatever. <laughs> it's like, well, what was this? And I think one of the things I learned, massive lesson, just by observing is that I think John naturally doesn't want any bullshit from anybody he's working with. Uh-huh. Right? Bass player from the Spice Girls. Fantastic bass player. Yeah. Is he going to give John some lip? Is he fuck? <laughs> of, co- of course he isn't. Yeah. You know? Um, it's the same with Olin. Bruce yeah. is a great drummer, yeah, yeah. but he's not going to get into it with John. Yeah. Me, I would. Yeah. Wobble would. Keith would. Yeah. Everybody would. And, and so it makes perfect sense to not want to have... I'm not going to pay someone who's going to fucking back chat me. Sure. But it's exactly what you should be paying for. Yeah. That's the priceless shit, is somebody will say, spinach in your teeth, mate. Sure. You know, or whatever the metaphorical version, the musical version of that is, when you hire a bunch of people to comply, whether it's overt or covert yeah. or spoken or not, you lose the thing that makes a band a band in the first and place. And you can't have self-criticism or, or, or constructive criticism, you know, which it's a bummer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is a good band live, but it's a cover band, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's, a, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, what, so what now then? Like, you're going to continue this, mm-hmm. put out more well, books? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying the pro- So I'm workshopping my book tonight. And some people don't understand. Well, when you finish the book, by all means, come back. Look, yeah, okay, right? Um, I'm workshopping ideas and feeling the vibe Uh. from people who are coming, who were involved, changes the things that I'm presenting and the things that I think about. I have a killing joke book to do. Um, I, I need to do something with the music that I've accumulated, that I've recorded. I'm getting back in the studio. I'm reworking the music business program at Millican University. Um, uh, working on some new classes that cross over into sports and fitness and uh, entrepreneurial business, which is really interesting to me. Um, I'm working with Dark Matter Coffee. 
they do my get the fuck out of bed coffee yeah, yeah. and they're so inspirational to me they release vinyl cassettes they're doing a effects uh, pedal with Kurt Hammett uh, it's insane whoa, that's pretty impressive yeah. Yeah. and I just spoke with um, Maynard's crew I'm going to go down to Jerome and do this I think at the store down in Jerome Arizona and maybe do some other stuff and learn about singer with a vineyard and another band and a store with that incorporates a barber shop uh-huh. and screen printing because those are that's what I have you know yeah. these broad multi-connected crazy businesses uh, as do you sure right this is the, this is the new thing <laughs> for me it's like yeah. you know you don't you don't concentrate on one thing do 10 yeah and the release the relief the release the liberation that i'm finding by doing all of that it's kind of awesome but all the 10 things can also so sort of coincide and 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 affect each other in a good way you know or accommodate each other or uh, you know that's when it gets stellar <laughs> like when, when it's, that's one plus one equals eleven. Yeah. <laughs> like when dark matter coffee will help fly me to Tokyo. Yeah. Right. So, so we launched my coffee in Tokyo. I was there last week, and I thought I want to do something awesome for the people who've donated to my pledge campaign. Uh, uh, surprise them! I sent them all a postcard from Tokyo. Yeah. And which arrived. A couple of people's birthdays, which was awesome, huh. but also the anniversary of live in Tokyo from 35 oh, years ago, wow. which I didn't think through. Sure, it was just like, well, and then people just freak out because <laughs> they weren't supposed to get that. Yeah, people get so uptight about, well, what exactly am I going to get? And when you give them something that wasn't in the fucking deal, yeah, it's easy to freak people out. <laughs> There's one thing that, that I, I just want to bring up that real okay. quick is that is stuck with me is I remember when we first met or maybe I think maybe it's like yeah we did that lecture in San Diego and, and you were saying how like um, going on tour and as long as you can win over two people a night that's enough and I think that's such a rad thing to hold on to because man people get full of their own shit and like two is not anything to most people but I don't know. That was that's something that resonated with me. So I just want to say, like, that's a rad point that you're putting out there. Well, but but that's that's it. Yeah. You know, if you can deal with the person who's in front of you and leave a venue with two fans, then the only thing you have to do is keep going for five years, <laughs> and then and then you know, and that's a message of hope. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. some people, are, oh fuck that. Yeah. We're going to be huge tomorrow. Uh, you're yeah, not. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. I met this guy who survived like four different kinds of cancer i hope he's still around uh, paul stein i think his name is he said baby steps are battering rams i'm like oh, fuck <laughs> love that <laughs> yeah. thank you thank you man that's great So there you have it, uh, episode nine of the Colton Culture Podcast with Martin Atkins. Um, thanks for tuning in and uh, pay attention to our upcoming podcast and check out Martin Atkins on uh, the Planet B album and what else? Everything else he's doing. Yeah, everything else that guy's doing. Um, you can you can hear all of our podcasts on 31G SoundCloud and also on iTunes. 31G uh, iTunes podcast. Thank you very much. Later. Planet B. Planet B. Planet B.